Did you get that on yours too? Yeah, and now that we're recording, it's recording that as well, so. All right, welcome to Pops Collection, where we dissect and reflect on a movie or TV show from my Pops Collection. I'm Ron Tweedy, joining me is Pops, and today we're going to talk about X-Men First Class. Uh, yes, we are. Uh, good movie. I actually have a lot of questions that I thought we could discuss. Actually, maybe not that many, four or five, but, okay, you know, but just different things. Uh, I was struggling with this, uh, thinking that it might be one of my favorite X-Men movies, you know? Uh, That's fair. Well, it is so totally different, yet the same in some ways. Okay. Uh, but 2011. Right. Uh, the U.S. release was on June 3rd. Mm-hmm. So right around Father's Day. Right. $160 million budget. Uh, uh, they said it was successful. Almost $354 million, So. Sure more than double what they put into it. So not too bad. Yep. Um, what I thought was interesting about this, what, you know, this was directed by Matthew Vaughn. Right. Which I don't know if you're aware of this, but he was, he, he was in the beginning, he started uh, to do X3. Okay. And he actually left for, what they said was professional and personal reasons or personal issues. Okay. So uh, it was never really spelled out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that they didn't really choose him. Brian Singer, Mm -hmm. uh, who we know he did the first two, right? Uh, As far as directing. Yeah, he's been involved in all of them pretty much. Right, but uh, he actually saw uh, Matthew's um, movie Kick-Ass right. and decided that he wanted him to do the X-Men movie. Plus, uh, Matthew Vaughn had been wanting to do an X-Men movie, so okay. it's kind of interesting. He actually has done a few comic book movies. Uh, one of your uh, favorite ones, Kingsman. That's not one of my favorite ones. What are you talking about? I, I know. Hey, we love uh, the performance of one of the actors in that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was it Alfred or Fury that you're, you're talking about? Huh? Was it Alfred or Fury? Which one are you talking about? Uh, Fury. Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, that's right. Alfred was in it too. I forgot. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. See, see, see what I did. That's there? true. So both of them. Uh, yes, but uh, he did both the Kingsman movies, and he actually uh, there's going to be a prequel Kingsman movie that comes out in 2021 that he not only directed but he also wrote. Okay. And he did, like I said, the Kick-Ass movie. Right. And now he's uh, doing X-Men First Class. Now, I don't know if we can, my first question is, 
Is this a trilogy or a quadrilogy? Well, it would be, if it was four movies, it'd be a tetralogy, not a quadrilogy. Just, well, you know. I'm sorry. I'm thinking it's okay. It's you're, right. Hey, you're the smart guy. Remember, I'm the old fart. So well, it's Greek versus Latin. So that, that's the, the difference between the two. But no, so to, to your first question. Uh, yeah, in, in my opinion, I, I don't know. Like, I guess you could say because it still has the same actors or most of the same actors that it would be considered that, you know, we're talking about dark Phoenix, obviously that came out way later. Um, well, it was only a couple of years later. So yeah, I guess it was, but, but the point being that should dark Phoenix be considered part of this series. And I would say just based on the actors alone, the answer would be yes. Um, however, I think that, uh, that movie is such uh, different in terms of quality that, you know, I, I, I kind of lean towards, let's just not do that anymore. Let's not let's forget about that, that movie. Well, cause it, it's horrible. Well, we can, and we can't really, if you think about it, it it's mean, the same. Know. Yeah. I think I would say it's the same level as uh, X-Men origins Wolverine. It's so out of place. It's supposed to be a period piece, but it's not, doesn't look like a period piece it's you know uh, they kill off characters that you know they shouldn't have killed off um so yeah to me it's like yeah anyway all right so we're gonna do this as a trilogy then i think so i think what we we should come back later and we could do I, i think it would be good for us to do dark phoenix and new mutants like back to back if we're gonna do that oh wow okay yeah, just make I it just don't want to lose that. our fan base, you know. We, well, right. maybe maybe we could do just one episode for both of them. <laughs> I'll I'll think about that. I'll think about that. And, and you could say this is what I would say it would be though those two movies are post Disney owned Fox. And I think that's what makes the difference. How's that? Okay. All right. Yeah, that's true. They are both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, kind of brings me to my next question. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you consider this movie a period piece? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not as good as some of the other period pieces. Like, you know, for I, I always think of like the, the standard of period pieces as Captain America, First Avenger and Wonder Woman, uh, the first Wonder Woman movie. And uh, those, those two definitely are very well done. Um, and then you have on the other side of the spectrum, you have stuff like, you know, X-Men Origins, Wolverine and, and, Dark, and Dark Phoenix. Those are the ones that are bad. I think, I think the first class absolutely is on the other side of where it's done well. Well, yeah. And I thought it was kind of intriguing how Vaughn used actual footage of John F. Kennedy and yes. the, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, how they yep. interwove all that. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I thought was interesting is that, uh, you know, their depiction of the 60s, mm-hmm. they kind of took their inspiration from the James Bond movies in that period. Yeah, yeah you I definitely, don't know if you could tell that, but it kind of. I got that. Yeah. Particularly the final scene or the final battle where, you know, they're on the coast of Cuba, as uh, JFK called it. And, yes. Uh, and it basically was like, you know, they're at Crab Key and Dr. No. 
I, I felt that big time. Yes. And also I thought was uh, uh, pretty much a same uh, vibe was uh, the first uh, meeting the general at the Hellfire Club. Yes, very much so. Absolutely. Yeah, that was definitely, although I felt like there really didn't need to be women in negligees there, but yeah. that was definitely 60s style. Yeah. Um, Las Vegas. Light, yeah. light, light porn, I'm going to say, <laughs> sure. for that time period. That would be like a James Bond type thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay, well. That was my question number two. So we got already two out of the way. Okay. All right. But while we're there, let's go to my third question, the Hellfire Club. What did you think about them? As the bad guys. Well, I, 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 it's difficult because it's not the traditional Hellfire Club. Right. So it's, it's, uh, you know, in fact, I did kind of prepare a little bit uh, for that. I'll show you. Well, there you go. Yeah. So we got the, the, the original Hellfire Club showed up in uh, X Men 129. And so this was at the very beginning of the Phoenix slash Dark Phoenix saga. And uh, th this is like starting the. Um, which is actually kind of funny. You have uh, Moira McTaggart here with uh, Sean Cassidy. There are, there are a couple in this, this particular story. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that we could kind of see Jean Grey's descent into madness. And you could see here, um, Jason Wingard here, they kind of take over her brain and put her like into the, uh, I think either 17th or 18th century. And, uh, you know, she's on a ship and whatnot, and you can see she falls in love with him, and then she feels like she's betrayed Cyclops, and there's this whole plot point there. But anyway, uh, Shaw shows up towards the end of this, I think. Uh, let's see. So he, Shaw doesn't even show up until the and, very end. And then you got Emma Frost here, of course, as the White Queen. So, and then... Incidentally, this is also the, brand, the first appearance of Kitty Pride, who is, you know, obviously takes a, a big... Uh, you know, forefront in, uh, in the, uh, seventies and eighties for, uh, for X-Men. So that's right. Yes. Anyway, so, so there's a lot going on in this particular issue where we get introduced to the Hellfire Club and then, uh, you know, the, the storyline afterwards, they get kidnapped by them and, you know, it's only thanks to Wolverine's berserker rage. He's able to free everybody and stuff like that. So it, it's, it's interesting. Um, but you know, for aesthetically speaking, this does not look like at all the movie. In fact, at a, this is this is uh, X Men number one. You know, obviously the the uh, Jack Kirby, uh, Stan Lee joint that you know kind of started it all. And you could see from the uniforms and everything that uh, very much indicative. And you know Magneto's uniform at the very end. You got that Magneto was the very first villain they faced. And uh, but if you'll see here that uh, when it comes to the actual X Men themselves, there's only one that actually made it into the movie, which is uh, Hank McCoy. Yes, only in this version, he's not blue in the comics. Right. He doesn't turn blue until much later. Yes, and in our story, uh, in this first class, he, I guess he doesn't turn blue until the very end. Yeah. Also in that. Right. Um, I somehow, though, I, I don't know if I got spoiled with... Um, 
Oh gosh, uh, the first beast. Uh, oh, Kelsey that, Grammer. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer. I don't know whether if I I liked his uh, makeup better. Oh yeah, his uh, yeah, the makeup was way better for Kelsey Grammer, but. Um, you know, I think the performance done by uh, the actor here, forget his name off the top of my head. Um, let me see, look it up in the cast list. Cause uh, well, they, oh, a lot of the actors and actresses yeah. in this yeah. were uh, some of them really not well known. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of that was uh, done, but with singer and um, uh, Donner, yeah. Lauren Donner, they uh, felt that they were, uh, becoming too many British actors and actresses in the movie. Sure. So they chose to uh, use different uh, actors to, so that I guess it would be more broad. I don't know. I guess, but maybe, but, I don't know. For, uh, but that, I think the casting they did was actually, most of them were pretty spot on. Uh, at least for the main characters, you know, uh, James McAvoy, right. Michael Fassbender, they're really good as, you know, Xavier yes. and uh, Lynch. Oh, yes. And uh, Kevin Bacon actually did uh, pretty good being the villain. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, uh, although if we look at it in some ways, I, I kind of broke it down, good guys, bad guys, and in-betweens. Okay. Because we got, um, you got Charles mm -hmm. and you got uh, new character, Darwin, you yep. got Beast, you got Banshee, right. you got Havoc, which is, or Havoc, right. which is uh, Scott Summers' brother. Right. Um, and then you had uh, Schmidt, which became Sebastian Shaw, Emma mm -hmm. Frost, Riptide. And Azizel, or right. Azazel, right. however you prefer to say it, who was kind of like Nightcrawler. Oh, yeah, very much. You know? Uh, and then you had Magneto, who was really going after Shaw. Yep. Uh, you had Mystique and actually Angel Salvatore. Right. Uh, who kind of started with the good guys, but then... Yeah. They moved, you know, Angel first, of course, but and Mystique uh, just going with Magneto. Yep. Uh, towards the end, based on how the story was. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of had some in-betweeners there. Yep. Uh, and I did thought, think it was interesting how they chose to start uh, in 1944 Nazi Germany. Well, yeah, it's kind of a throwback to the beginning of the first X-Men movie, right? Right, exactly. And in contrast, because uh, we got that whole thing with uh, Schmidt yep. uh, killing his Eric's mother right. and then him having a tantrum and really throwing his powers and Schmidt just thinking, wow, that's the greatest thing since, you know, sliced yep. potatoes. And then in contrast, we next are in a mansion in New York, Westchester, New York. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and we get, uh, we get Charles as a young boy. Right. And 
he is under nowhere any kind of duress that uh, Eric was as a child growing up. In the movie. In the movie, right. In this particular case. So it's like an absolute opposites. Right. And uh, I think it was kind of interesting how Vaughn uh, wove this story to whereas they kind of became friends. Right. You know, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I would say that Raven or Mystique, whichever you wish to call her, uh, I think she was more along the lines of going through life the way Eric did. Yeah. You know, plus I think it would have to have been rough for her being blue. You know, it's a good thing that she could do that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, definitely her, the concept of her thinking that she could portray uh, Charles's mother mm-hmm. and that she's going to make him hot cocoa. Yeah. You know, because that's what she thinks a mother would do. And Charles, like, who the hell are you? You know, my mom would never make me hot chocolate you know she'd get the maids to do it or something you know right so i thought that was kind of interesting right the way that they worked that out and then uh i think that um when i was thinking about this watching this movie uh, would you call the X-Men kind of a standalone commodity? Or do you think that they could be paired up in other movies? And, and if there, are there maybe certain heroes that they couldn't pair up with? What do you think about uh, are, that? Are you referring to specifically like other Marvel heroes and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, in other words, could you see an x-men avengers thing well it's funny you say that because <laughs> uh, well i I'll, I'll say it's uh the first appearance of raven Darkholm actually is in ms marvel which is you know and then you got a bunch of avengers on here as well so you could see later on the comic she actually shows up and um yeah so i mean obviously uh there was precedent in the comics for that let's see if i can get to her i think she's Let's see. She shows up in a number of other places, but she's, you know, not in her blue form. She's, you know, shapeshifted. Yeah, you can see her right there in the corner. Yes. Okay, yes. Anyway. I see her. Yeah, so. uh, Right, but I mean, do you think that the X-Men as a whole, would you, could you see, um, you know, uh, Wolverine, you know, team up with, well, although there has been a couple teaming up with the Hulk. Well, uh, the one uh, and di- Thor. I have a I have a DVD with both of those. Right. Well, the other thing you have is uh, Beast was at some point a member of the Avengers longer than he was an X Men. So, you know, you have that Beast was a, is a long time member of the Avengers, and you have that. You have um, Wolverine was one of the new Avengers in the, uh, in the two thousands. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of interaction, at least in the comics. So there's definitely a, a precedent there. And in fact, I would say that they hinted towards mutants in 
the episode, one of the episodes of WandaVision saying that, you know, she had powers prior to the Mind Stone and that Mind Stone just kind of brought those things to the forefront. So, you know, very okay, much well, at the fact that she was a mutant. So, right. But um, I was thinking about that and, and there really are so many different X-Men. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that if you think about it, it would be, in my estimation, difficult to, well, I think it would kind of be like our shirts only the, with every character on the entire shirt. You couldn't really, I don't know if you could get a shirt that had every Marvel character, you know, made on yep. it, you know. So, uh, you know, how could you get them all in a movie? Or, you know, maybe maybe a TV series, maybe. Mm. I don't know. It's possible. But I thought about that. I thought, well, gee, could we ever see? Because it was Fox originally, right? Yep. Even though Disney owns it now. Right. Is it going to remain just a Fox commodity? No, it's not. They've already announced, well, they, they've hinted at the fact they're going to introduce mutants in the Fantastic Four, which both were owned by Fox at the time. So, you know, that's... Uh, that's so happening. maybe we'll get an X-Men Fantastic Four thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Okay, well, that is interesting. I think I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be ready for that. Okay, so... We got our story as they were young youth. Yep. And then we jumped to the 60s. Right. Where we got the Hellfire Club mm -hmm. and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, uh, Sebastian Shaw now, not Schmidt anymore. Right. Which I was curious, was there a hint at his powers back when he was Schmidt? I didn't see any. If No, uh, so uh, I didn't. How did he, you know, I was like, that was one of the other questions that I had. You know, did he get his powers afterwards? Or is it, you know, there's really not anything there about that. Is there anything about Schmidt in the comics that you can remember? Well, I just showed you his first appearance. He just shows right. up. You know, but so. I mean, other than that, right? No, I mean no, they might so. have they might have retold the story or the origin of Magneto with him being in there, but in the original, no. Right. Okay. All right. Well, well, good. That answered that question for me then. Okay. So, uh, what did you think about the parts where they had the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis? The way they enter wove actual television footage. Yeah, no, I thought that was really well done. Yeah. Yes. And of course you had to love uh, the Hugh Jackman cameo, right? <laughs> Which I, by the way was uncredited. Yeah, the I, at the time I, I thought it was kind of stupid, but going back uh, and you know seeing how well you know, so this went when this came out. This came out two years after X Men Origins Wolverine. So, yes. before the Wolverine, before Logan. So, you know, 
at the time I was like, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've kind of written them off and I thought that was kind of stupid, but now just going back how much they redeemed that character with the other uh, films that, you know, I thought it was, it was, it was good seeing him again. It was just, it's kind of a laugh and it was, it was the perfect way to, to have him. Yes. Oh yes, definitely. And uh, oh, I thought it was so cool the way that both of them went out to yeah. try to procure their own Hellfire Club or mutant team, which I guess they eventually decided on X-Men. Yep. Yep. Instead of G-Men. Right. So I thought that was kind of cool how they put all that together. And yep. uh, definitely, you know, that was a good origin, I think, for X-Men. Definitely. Yeah. And the way they chose to uh, show Charles losing the power of his legs on the beach, mm -hmm. you know, how they intertwine that. I, yeah. I don't know. Is there like any particular part of the story that you felt more strongly about than others or? Um, you know, I, I do think, so I think the more stronger pieces of the story is uh, Eric's arc of him taking revenge on Schmidt and finding him. Uh, you really get to see Michael Fassbender's uh, range as an actor because he has to, I mean, he, he speaks like three languages, including English or plus English. You know, he has to speak Spanish. He has to speak French in the bank scene. He has to speak German to the uh, the former Nazis before he kills them. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I thought that his um, he did a fantastic job with that. The funny thing is, is that when he starts talking, when he has the helmet on, it kind of starts sounding kind of ridiculous, which I thought was kind of funny. That other, other than that, he did a great job, you know, in, in my opinion. But it kind of took me out of it when he started talking really strangely when he had the helmet on. But anyway, so that that was cool. Um, yeah, there were some scenes like in the middle of the film, which I thought, you know, we could have really done without or maybe, you know, handled in a way that was didn't make the movie seem too long. Like it started dragging for me when we got to um, Russia, when they when they get when they go into Russia and try to infiltrate the KGB facility, not the KGB facility, but the. Uh, um, right. Uh, general. right. The Russian general and Emma Frost. Yeah, like that, that to me they really could have done without that, you know, it, it, it kind of slowed the movie down for me. But other than that, um, you know, I think that, and then obviously the, uh, I thought the Hellfire Club scene was, was done very well. We, you know, we got introduced to Moira McTaggart and a completely different role that, that she normally is in when it comes to the X-Men. Normally she's a mutant researcher and, uh, you know, as an ally to the, uh, to the X-Men and not, not a, a CIA agent. And uh, she's also like extremely, um, you know, not uh, American <laughs> in the uh, in the comics, right? Well, and also, uh, isn't she the one that we got um, at the end of X three? That little, yeah, where uh, yep. his yep. consciousness was into uh, yeah. body, yes, right. and that was Moira's uh, facility. I yep. guess we'll call it. Yep. Yep. And um, then you had the facility where they all met. That was a CIA building. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That was just a research building. Yep. And I was kind of hoping for, you know, a special somebody special running the, the joint. But 
you really don't get a name for the character. No, he doesn't have a name. No, you, know, you never hear his name. You, you know, you just, he's almost like just a man in black, you know? <laughs> that, that was the official casting. That's what, the, that's what his name is. Oliver Platt as the man in black. But to me, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we, we talk about, you think of a show like The X-Files where it's the FBI, not the CIA, but it's the same thing, you know, lots of, uh, you know, secret government ops and stuff like that. So I think it's, uh, it, it goes to the, it adds to the period piece feel of it that you have this, you know, shadowy government spy agency and whatnot. So I think, I think that was well done. I'm fine with that. Uh, what I think wasn't well done was the golf ball in the field. Okay. That was supposed to be Cerebro. Oh, okay. Yeah. You kind of look at it and it, it looks like, you know, it looks like a golf ball on a tee, really. You know, it doesn't really. What are you going to do with 60s technology? I mean, that they have to make it as, you know, non-high uh, tech as possible. So I, I don't know. I, I thought that was fine. Okay. Well, I thought they could have done it a little better. Some of the special effects yeah. in this movie were done exceptionally well. And others, uh, not so much. Mm-hmm. you know kind of there were times when I got taken out of it but I did enjoy the Banshee and the Havoc pieces where Charles was help helping them to learn their powers yeah you know which he really didn't have to do that with anybody else yeah he did he did that with Magneto well I guess he helped him refine that but Right. He didn't do anything with Angel or with Darwin, at least not that we're led to know. And the same thing with Hank, too. I don't think I think probably Hank was more intelligent than him. Well, you had Darwin was dead by that point when they get to that montage, that training montage. So he couldn't even do anything with Darwin. And um, Hank, he, you know, he was jogging with him. That was his part of his character development. So. OK. All right, I guess so. All right, I'll go with it. That, that's what it was. It. I mean, I gotcha. Okay, well, all right, we talked about the period being uh, set, and the cars I thought were all very interesting too that they chose to yeah. use for this. Yeah, very, very much, uh, you know, very faithful to the, the time period, I think. Right, and I, I'm just like in my mind, it's 2011. Those cars had to be 50 years old. Yeah. You know, and some of them kind of getting damaged. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, how yeah. much did they pay somebody to be able to do that to their car, you know? Oh, yeah. You know? Well, they could have used models for the, the those parts, I guess. I don't well, know. Well, that's true. They did. Uh, do some modeling in this and uh, they also did some motion capture yeah so um, there wasn't really a whole lot of CG yeah in this and uh, which I was a little surprised at I I thought there might be more than there was but uh, hey uh, I thought that for the most part I like I said I was at a point where 
is this going to be my favorite X-Men movie? You know? Yeah. Because of the, I thought the story was told pretty well through the whole thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, like I said, I, I, I believe that there's just some some plot points that kind of made it, you know, drag for me a little bit. So I, it's definitely not my favorite, but it's definitely one of the better ones, 100%. You know? Right, not your worst, right? Oh, yeah, it's definitely on the better side of... Um, well, what did we really have to look to before that? We had uh, X1, 2, and 3, right? And Wolverine Origins. At that particular time, right. So... Uh, compared to those movies, yeah, um, I don't know. I just do. I like this one better than I like, uh, you know, the cast in the first three. You know, I, I it's hard to say because uh, some yes and some no. Like I, I really don't think you can get better than you know Sir Patrick Stewart and Serene McKellen when it comes for, to for yes Professor X and Magneto yes yeah. that's true but uh, but but then again I mean some of the other actors they cast and like I said um, you know the guy they they casted for Beast and you know Jennifer Lawrence as Raven I thought that was a really good choice and uh, you know e even though James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender aren't the same as the, the you know. Right. Uh, but they're, they're still really good. They're still really well cast and they're still really good actors. And they're actually, they do it very well together. I agree. A hundred percent. So. You know, uh, although when we uh, see McAvoy again, I don't know how well he pulls off the bald head, you know, so, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing that this movie did give us is they did give us a, um, a new meme that's kind of come from this. I don't know if you, you're, you're aware of this, but like, you know, the, the scene we're, we're talking about, you know, where they're at the X mansion and, uh, you know, uh, Magneto says to, you know, like, I prefer the real Raven, you know, and then she, yeah transforms into herself and it's like no the real raven right and then she's in her blue form and you know he says perfection and so you know the people have made uh, memes out of that so like i'll give you an example this one was uh, about anakin in particular and you could say you know he, he prefer the real anakin and it's hayden christensen and he says i said the real anakin and then you know him in the clone wars and then yes <laughs> and then the lego version of anakin <laughs> perfection yes, perfection that's that's a good meme i like it so anyway, I thought that was pretty fun. That's definitely very good. Yeah. Well, okay. So we got a good meme out of this. Uh, yeah. Uh, we got a good storyline, a really good storyline. And I thought it was great how they uh, did the Hellfire, uh, forcing the general to agree to missiles in Turkey. Yeah. And then uh, getting the Russians to try to get missiles to cuba yeah it, 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 that is an interesting angle of having like this you know shadowy organization trying to you know um start world war three which you know was a plot point to a ton of james bond films absolutely so yes. that's or nod to it i think oh yes definitely so. and you also like you said it is uh not 
the first time we've seen that plot point and it won't be the last. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, uh, it's just something that goes along with it. One thing that I thought was interesting was at the end when we, when they were on the beach yeah, and we got uh, Magneto telling Charles that as soon as we take care of this, they're going to turn on us. Yep. Um, and still as smart as Charles is and his ability to read minds. Yeah. Why couldn't he have foreseen that? Yeah. You know, is he, is his blind hope in just humanity? You yeah, I, I think that's what it is. It is a dysfunctional anthropology, to use a fancy term, right? I mean, he 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 believes ultimately, and at the very end, that deep down, mankind is good, and so he trusts that. And uh, Magneto happens to be right about this one. Mankind is, in, is inherently sinful and can't be trusted. Right, which we know for a fact. Yep. You know? Which is kind of right. funny that Magneto ends up being the bad guy, and you know, Xavier ends up being the good guy. So, yes, in this, well, like I said, he's an in between at the moment. He doesn't really get sure. to be the bad guy until the That's very fair. end. But That's fair. Uh, he and Charles kind of had the same, they were kind of going in a certain direction yeah. to stop the evil mutants. Yep. Although Eric Magneto, uh, was more than happy to go about it in a different way. Yep. You know, he he was ready, definitely. He was going to kill Sebastian Shaw no matter what. Right. Or Schmidt, whichever you want to call him. But yeah, his acting through this whole movie was incredible. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Except for, and you know what? Now I'm going to have to go back and listen to him and, as the Magneto helmet again. It, yeah, as soon as he puts the helmet on, it gets a weird accent. It's not like anything I can tell. Because that's the other thing is that there was a lot of accent work done as an actor for him because, you know, he had to, you know. Oh, yes. German and Spanish, Spanish and French and, you know, so lots of stuff. Right, which he did excellent. I, I agree. I felt that as you were watching the film and those parts. Yeah. It just flowed so uh, evenly and perfectly that you really didn't even think about it at the time. Yeah. And then afterwards, it's like, wow, did he really just do that? Yeah. yeah. You would think given the upbringing that, you know, Eric has, he would have a German accent natively. Yes, you would and think. The same thing with Xavier, you would think that he wouldn't have a British accent. He'd have a Northeastern or maybe a Mid-Atlantic American accent, you would think. You know, I, right, I because him, Worcester, New York. Right. I could see is him where the mansion like, is. Yeah, he could probably, you know, I could see him having the same kind of accent as William F. Buckley or something like that, but not necessarily a, a British accent, which is, you know, but but obviously, you know, he he's uh, James McAvoy is definitely trying to just be faithful to the. Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart performance, which, you know, I'm totally fine with that. I'm down with that. Yes. But he's no Patrick Stewart. No. You know, sorry, but he does play a good young 
Yeah. No, he does a great job. And uh, what I thought was really interesting is his portrayal as just the regular college guy, even though he's this great uh, geneticist that's going to become a professor. Right. You know, that he yet he will try and chug down the beer in the big, long cylinder. And we kind of saw him. Uh, throwing a line at women mm-hmm. about their eyes changing colors. Right, <laughs> right. Jeanette, and he's like, had this smooth line that, oh yeah, we're going to yep. be together tonight. And then right, uh, right. I thought that it was kind of cool the way that he did that part really good. Yep. Um, but he did get, as the film went on, he did get to be more serious. His his portrayal of the professor when they started getting young adults in there with them was his, his direction was totally opposite of Magneto's direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we started to see their differences, you know, act out a little bit more. Yeah. I think the, the key word, particularly for Xavier is gravitas, right? You have Sir Patrick Stewart when he's acting, he has that weightiness or gravitas is the word that we look that we use in the in the English to uh, you know establish that. And you could see that his character James McAvoy's performance in the in the beginning in particular has no gravitas at all. You know, there's no weight weightiness to uh, him as a character. You know, right, he's, right. Like he's just living for himself. He's successful. He knows how to you know put the moves on women and stuff like that. So. Right. But again, he changes yeah, and we get to see that change, which I thought was uh, really cool how they worked that out and how they made Eric's character uh, just, I don't know, I guess you could say he still uh, didn't, even though they were friends and they were close, there was still a disconnect there. Sure. You know, uh, like when they went to Russia and he just decided that he was going to take off and do his own thing. Right. You know, not really be part of it. So I I think that what we got in this story was that uh, he was going to be a part of it as long as it was good for him for his goal. Right. So more self-centered, definitely. Right. And more of a realist. He yep. knew what was going to happen. Yeah. So thought that was cool. Yeah. All right. So anything else that you can think of that think you that... want to talk about in this movie? I did think it was kind of interesting how they chose to make everybody fearful of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's that's completely understandable um you know the the thing that you know again takes me out of it is that like the mutants that they decided to use for this film kind of all over the place you know you didn't really get the original oh yes that's true you know so uh to me i kind of would have liked to have seen you know the original lineup but they really can't do that because the other movie you know right and i mean because when do you see havoc 
you know, in the comics. And Banshee, we just, we did see the issue with yeah. Banshee, but that was like, yeah, you know, way, way, way out there, you know? Right. And I don't think I can remember Angel as far as her. No, not till much, much, much later. Same thing and with Harvey. What about Riptide? Yeah. You know, that's another character that um, I don't quite remember. Uh, being that prevalent right yeah so maybe part of the brotherhood i don't know i can't remember anyways okay so it was a nice travel to the 60s yeah and uh the next question for me is days of future past is that the next one it is is that a period piece, you think? hundred percent, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is It is when they go back to the past. Right, but not, okay. All right, so a partial period piece, yeah. we'll say. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, well, good. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the only thing left is to decide how we're going to rate this mm -hmm. yep and uh i suppose you'll want me to go first if you like to it's fine I don't hey, mind. Go first hey. all right well uh it was definitely a first class movie okay other than you, what you said uh there were a couple of places they could have definitely done without but um i'm actually going to give it a 7.5 Okay. So, good. I definitely enjoyed it a lot, but I still am not sure if it's one of my favorites, you know? Yep. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think back to what I rated the first X-Men movie. But well, for our listeners that don't remember, you can always go back and listen to yeah. our show on that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think 7.5 actually is a really good score. So I'm going to go with that. Um, yeah. There, there's some, I mean, yeah, like you said, there's certain spots in there where it's just like, can I keep my eyes open? Will I be able to, you know, and you get all this other excitement in there. Yeah. And it's like, you kind of just want the story to flow. Yep. You know, and it just, there's, too many spots in there where it really doesn't, you yeah. know, and things like uh, certain scenes that just really don't need to be in there. Right. They don't really do anything for the story, you know? So I'm good with that. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's end it there then. So um, yeah. So again, we want to thank you for tuning in for our Pops Collection. And uh, we'll see you next week with Days of Future Past. But don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, send us a tweet. And uh, again, see you next week. Goodbye and God bless. Goodbye, God bless, and tell your friends.